Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Children of the Night, What Music They Make. It's episode number 29 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the world's number one Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is the Pope of Allentown, Mr. Liam O'Donnell. How you doing today, Liam? <laughs> Why the Pope of You know I don't live in Allentown, right? But that's a place in Pennsylvania, though, right? Oh, that's true. I mean, you might as well say I'm the Pope of Lancaster, then. My, You know, my wife is from a place called Lancaster. Lancaster, yeah. New York. Oh, that sounds terrible. It's like what you do, though. You know how all the places that are near Philadelphia, if you're from them, you just say that you're from Philadelphia. My wife says she's from Buffalo, but she's from fucking Lancaster. <laughs> I guess that's true. People do just say they're from Philly. They don't really just, you know, because if you say you're from, I don't know, like uh, media or from uh, Wayne, PA, people aren't going to know what that is. You it's know? like if you're from Hamilton, Ontario, you might say you're from Sicily. Oh, my God. I just heard a call-in show today where uh, this woman was supposed to be anonymous, and then she was describing the small town she was from near Toronto and all this stuff, and then someone in the audience guessed that it was Hamilton, and she was real bummed out. Why would why would someone in the audience even have an opportunity to guess? Because they just asked a question. They were like, you know, things in Toronto aren't so bad. You could do this thing there, or you could do it in Hamilton. And the response from the girl, like, it wasn't a question, but her response on the phone made it clear that she was from Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Anyway, shut up, Liam. Oh, God damn it. Since we are discussing, and you know this already, Liam, we're discussing Sicilian Vampire today on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. There was really only one person we could logically have on the show. It would have been ridiculous to have anybody else. And in fact, when I put the call out to have someone uh, discuss this movie, I was very, very happy that I heard back from writer, podcaster, and Frank D'Angelo connoisseur, Mr. Will Sloan. Will, how are you doing today? Wow, Frank D'Angelo connoisseur. Uh, I hope they put that on my tombstone. I hope that tombstone is far away I'll say that I did feel a little angry that I had to beg, literally mm. beg, to be on your podcast to talk about Sicilian Vampire, Look, that I've devoted much of my life to thinking about. It, I didn't know how to approach, how to breach the subject. Hey, water under the bridge. <laughs> and no, I really, when I cast the line, and you can't see me right now, but I'm miming casting a fishing rod. Uh, it was with the idea that if I hear back from Will Sloan, I will say, yes, of course you can do this podcast. <laughs> and if I hear back from anyone else, I'll be like, eh, maybe I'll DM you. Maybe I won't. Oh, I'm glad I got there in time. Well, we're not just talking about Sicilian Vampire today. You also, Will, have suggested that we should watch 2010's Sharktopus. Will, what's your Eric Roberts history? When, when did you first become aware that Eric Roberts was an actor that exists on the planet uh, I probably became aware of him when Rob Lowe imitated him on SNL back in the 90s. Uh, That's a good one. You know, I've, I've always tried to – they have that clip up on the NBC site, but I can't watch it because I'm in Canada, just like you are, Will. Uh, but so I have never actually seen that impression, but I've heard it's 
accurate. Yeah, and I would say after that, you know, I've always I've always been broadly in favor of Eric Roberts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd seen Star 80 and The Ambulance and Runaway Train and a couple of the other major ones. I would say I became sort of semi-enthusiastic about him more recently when he started being in movies like A Talking Cat. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think... Like, I'm I'm very much in favor of him now because I think it's really cool that we have a guy who, you know, he's in movies by Christopher Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson, and he works with Frank D'Angelo. That's and it. I think it's great that there's just that. I, I can't think of anybody else who covers the spectrum like he does. It's like he exists in two worlds at once, right? The small parts in the big movies and the also small parts in the very small <laughs> movies and then the really small parts in the movies that are unbelievable that he even appears in in the first place and usually they're directed by David Dakota a great man yeah a, a, a fine man who is very he's productive like he makes a lot of movies just like Eric Roberts does and of similar qualities uh yeah I mean I would say the two of them kind of have different aesthetics in a way uh David mm-hmm. Dakota is you know, he has that antiseptic um, digital sheen and mm. with a bit of a kind of queer subtext. And his movies are very kind of minimalist, I would say. Um, Frank D'Angelo's movies are more like a hall of mirrors in Frank's own head. Um, and I don't know, I think they're both great in their own ways. I would agree with that. Of course, I've only ever seen one Frank D'Angelo movie, and it's the one we're going to be discussing today. You have such a body of work ahead of you. I'm jealous. I, I'm jealous of myself. Will, what's your favorite Eric Roberts movie? Oh, my favorite Eric Roberts movie? Uh, mm-hmm. Runaway Train, I would say. Uh, That's a good yeah, movie. really solid. What do you think about that, Liam? Is that your favorite Eric Roberts movie? No. Have I asked you this question before? About my favorite Eric Roberts movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it the first official episode I did. I believe at doesn't the time sound, I said... doesn't ring a bell. Oh, yeah. I mean, who knows? That was so, so long ago <laughs> at this point. So many. Also, if it could have... Obviously, it could have changed since that time, no. since you've watched a lot of Eric Roberts since then. It's true, but my tenure on this podcast has been in, let's call, the the darker periods of the Roberts. <laughs> the Dark Moon Rising period. I have, yes, a exactly. I have a question for the panel. Do you guys appreciate Eric Roberts more now than you did when you started? Yes, I can say that unequivocally that I do, mostly because I didn't really have an opinion about Eric Roberts when I started a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. And now I respect him not only as a performer, but at least partially as a human being, which isn't to say that there's there's a part of me that doesn't respect him. But it's more that having watched a number of reality shows that involve Eric Roberts, uh, most specifically Wife Swap, Celebrity Wife Swap, um, I get I get and also following his Twitter feed to a ridiculous extent. <laughs> I get a, a real sense of the person, and it's actually someone that I find quirky and interesting and unique in a way that I never would have thought possible beforehand. But, I mean, the idea of the podcast was really based around the scope of his work. He was just working so much so it could support a podcast, but uh, I've actually, I'm actually more of a fan of him now than I really was at the start. Liam, do you feel similarly? It Well, <laughs> prior to the podcast, I – was mostly familiar with his work in, let's call them, uh, his more prestigious films. Uh, uh-huh. The exception being uh, maybe Best of the Best too, which I was, as I said, the first Eric Roberts movie I ever saw. So prestigious I, to me. I was aware that he was in some of these other films. So when we started the podcast, my appreciation actually started to dip because some of the movies we were watching that he was involved in were more difficult. However, yes. what 
ended up happening was as we've been able to cover a, a larger amount of those films, I've started to respect just maybe not always having to watch the exact movie, but his work ethic in continually putting himself out there and trying to trying to be in films, it, it sort of made me rethink other actors who are not as diligently working and wondering, well, what the hell are you doing with yourself? Like, why aren't you in movies? Like, That's if right. Eric Roberts can get all these movies, what are you doing just sitting around? Like, I don't understand. Turn your scorn towards some other actor. I mean, at the very least, you can only watch so many ultra-low-budget movies where Eric Roberts is the best thing of in that movie sure. before you, you start to say, you know what? This guy, he's got something that makes it weird when I read 20 times per day on Twitter someone saying, Eric Roberts is in this movie. It must suck. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, probably will suck. Let's go into the Roberts Report. So I was trolling Twitter for Eric Roberts news recently because there hasn't really been a very productive last couple of weeks. And I stumbled upon an Eric Roberts interview from a few years back from the wonderfully titled Newsbreaker.com, a news with a Z. I know you'll appreciate that, Liam. In it, we have this exchange. <laughs> the interviewer asks, You are the first person I've ever interviewed where we shared the same birthday. I don't usually ask about signs, but since we are both Aries, do you have any thoughts on being one? Eric responds, Good for us, bro. <laughs> all, I know is that if, <laughs> all I know is that if the moon can move the entire ocean, that all the other planets do have some kind of force on us. I don't think we understand it, really. But hell, we are scratching the surface. Will Sloan, what's your sign? Uh, my sign, I'm Capricorn, but I don't put a lot of stock in that. No, you don't have an on-call astrologist? No, I, I think it's been a few years since I've read my horoscope. Um, not something that interests me at all. How about Nancy Reagan? She really cared about signs, right? I hope it worked out for her. <laughs> did, did, did to a point. Liam O'Donnell, what's your sign? Cancer. Oh, God, Liam. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Shut up. Liam, do you put any stock in the stars? Uh, I find horoscopes to be amusing sometimes, and so mm. I like to read them for amusement, but they tend to either be, I mean, they're never specific, right? They're usually vague and menacing, or vague and uplifting, or so specific that there has to just be one person reading it going, oh my god, that's me! Absolutely, you know? right, of course. So, uh, so I just, there, there's not much there for me. The, the only thing I can say is, whenever uh people... I see people on social media talking about Mercury and retrograde, and I don't know what that means, but it always seems like bad things happen to them because they know what that is. So I assume if I don't know what that is, then bad things won't happen to me. Could be some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Deadline Hollywood is reporting Vine star Alfonso McCauley is cast in Girl Boss, the Netflix comedy series. I don't know what or who Alfonso McCauley is, but apparently he's a star on Vine. Liam, do you use Vine? No, I don't. I don't see any reason to do that. Well, okay, that's very judgmental. How about yourself, Will? Are you a Viner? Uh, no, I have Instagram. Well, that's something. Me too. Just recently, I'm on Instagram. Mostly, it's pictures of my dog. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, it's pretty easy. I think. I think it's a little hacky, honestly. Uh, I mean, if you put a picture of a pet, uh, you're gonna get likes. I don't know. I don't. Like, I don't think you really earn those likes, to be honest. Jeez. Sorry, yeah. I don't mean to come out on a combative note. What what am I supposed to take photos of? I live in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. I'm sure your dog is lovely. It's a great fucking dog, and I will posting photos. Now you are now it seems like you don't actually want me to post photos, which makes me want to post more <laughs> photos 
of my dog and my cats too. I don't I don't have any pets. Maybe I'm jealous. May, see, this is what I'll, this is what I was thinking from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Now, what I was saying about this uh, Alfonso McCauley casting Girl Boss, the Netflix comedy series. Now, Eric Roberts is not going to be in Girl Boss, the Netflix comedy series, unfortunately. However, the interesting bit of this article mentions that Alfonso uh, will be seen in Andre Bart Kowiak's <clears throat> upcoming action slash comedy film Maximum Impact, which we actually mentioned on a recent episode, opposite Tom Arnold, Danny Trejo, Bai Ling, and Eric Roberts. So that's interesting. We'll be looking forward to Maximum Impact, which has just about the most generic action movie title. I'm still not convinced it's not some sort of awful date movie-esque parody. Hopefully it's not one of those. Would you see a movie called Maximum Impact? Well, it seems like it's, that's the kind of movie that you would like. It's a pretty generic title. I mean, you could you could imagine a Steven Seagal movie with that title or a Van Damme one. I'm more mm. intrigued by the cast, honestly. Where do you come down on Tom Arnold? Um, uh, You know, I'm not dogmatic about it. I, I wouldn't call myself a fan per se, but I think um, I think he's had his moments here and there. I think probably True Lies is where he was at his peak. The Stupids. Oh, God, I haven't seen that in 20 years. <laughs> that was during that brief period. I, I think it was 1996 when we had Carpool, The Stupids, and um, I think there might have been another one that he starred in, just like all in the space of a year. It was the golden age of Tom Arnold. It was mm. like this big push to make Tom Arnold a matinee idol, and it didn't. It just didn't really work. Liam, your thoughts on Tom Arnold? That's that guy. Uh, <laughs> he used to be married was... to Roseanne. Yeah, no. He was in Nightmare on no, Street Part you. 6. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. I forgot about that. No, I mean, he True lies. He, he exists. Uh I I I have found him amusing in films and then I have found him not amusing in films. So I I don't know. I thought wasn't is am I confusing him with someone else? I thought he was on the run from the law or is that someone else? You are probably thinking and I don't know why I'm I'm sure that you are thinking this, but you're thinking of Randy Quaid, I think. Oh yeah, fucking Randy Quaid. He he uh, filmed himself having sex with his mm-hmm. girlfriend in a bush mask or something. Yeah, or, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude's crazy. Here's the thing. I think I'm so guilty about lashing out at your dog a minute ago that now I'm being unduly generous to Tom Arnold. <laughs> so, like I'm not a Tom Arnold fan. I'm I don't have any particularly strong positive feelings about Tom Arnold. This is not a podcast about Tom Arnold. And God, <laughs> I'll let you know. I could make a podcast about Tom Arnold. He has a very rich... Ugh. Now I feel like uh, I am no, defending... Not. No, no. <laughs> Tom Arnold's a fucking man. I'm just you would saying. do like five episodes. That's what that would be. <laughs> I have a stick to that would surprise even you. <laughs> Recently airing on the Lifetime Network, one of our favorite networks here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man, was a remake of the seminal TV movie Mother, May I Sleep With Danger, starring James Franco and Tori Spelling. And directed by one of Franco's students. Yes, students, Melanie Aitkenhead. Uh, so he was, uh, I guess, on NY- at NYC, he was teaching a film class. And he, what he did, I guess, is, I, don't, I guess he handpicked a collection of students. And he's getting them, this is such a James Franco thing to do, getting them to adapt his book, Actors Anonymous. So each one, I guess, is taking a section and directing it. I don't know if it's some sort of anthology thing. But it's uh, it's notable because that film, Actors Anonymous, is coming out, I think, a little later this year and features, of course, one Mr. James Franco, as well as Eric Roberts. Yes, Eric Roberts and James Franco appearing together. What do you think about that, Will Sloan? Uh, I would say that I like maybe 20% of James Franco's output. Uh, so I'm not excited, per se. Now, but, I- hey, maybe this will fall in that 20%. Do you like him more as an actor or as a director? A- 
Well, let me see. Have I seen? Oh, yeah, I guess I saw one of his movies as a director. I definitely prefer him as an actor. I liked him in Spring Breakers and This is the End and maybe a couple other things. I'm, I'm not crazy about these um, these articles he writes for publications. Yes. Where he tries to be an art critic or a film <laughs> critic. Um, I, I think I think it, it's um, emblematic of something diseased in our culture when we let a dilettante like James Franco just like waltz his way into a magazine and write about things he's not qualified to. I don't know. So no, I'm not excited to answer your question. Liam, was it not James Franco who had a photo of himself? He was wearing a mask. Was it a stormtrooper mask covered in jizz? Am I wrong about this? (laughs) I am. I I don't keep up with uh, James Franco jizzmask.com, so I don't know. I'm a little busy hosting a podcast at the moment, Liam. Do you think you could do a quick search to find out if James Franco has a photo of himself covered in jizz? Sure, I'll do that. I'll use the Google for you. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just desktop image right now. Yeah, please report back after you look up James Franco jizz for all of us, all of our interested listeners. I am excited for Actors Anonymous, maybe not because of one Mr. James Franco, but certainly because of the Eric Roberts participation. And also, while that's been happening, there has been some Twitter interaction between James Franco and Eric Roberts. I hope they strike up a long-term friendship and we can see Eric Roberts in all sorts of future James Franco movies. Hmm. Hmm. That, that, uh, hmm. By the way, you're confused. Uh, James Franco... Uh, shot his uh, man juice onto Batman's head. That's what Batman. I said a stormtrooper helmet. Yeah, yeah. I was so off, wasn't I? I mean, it's it, you don't quite understand the meta significance of the act, or you would have remembered it. He's kind of like Banksy, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. That he is like Banksy. Banksy. That's very good, Will Sloan. Now, what do I think about when I think about Batman with jizz on his head? Hmm. Well, I think of Batman just in general. I mean, Eric that- Roberts was in a Batman movie. Was he? Which yeah, one? The Dark Knight. Oh, of course. How could I forget? How could you have forgotten? Oh. I, I literally thought you were fucking with us. That I... <laughs> You're like, he was? Oh my god, what? <laughs> Eric Roberts' tweet of the week. Uh, I've been uh, keeping up on this. I mean, I keep up very closely on Eric Roberts' Twitter feed, and it is notable that uh, he's recently been shooting a movie which stars both Chris Kattan and Jaleel White. Oh. Uh And in fact, he has a tweet here. Day one with Jaleel White was incredible. That guy made me funny and he got me to dance. He was hashtag so good. So uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing Eric Roberts performing and dancing with Urkel himself, Jaleel White. However, that is not the tweet of the week. I think you can all agree with me that the proper tweet of the week (laughs) is this. (laughs) Apropos of nothing, Eric Roberts decided to tweet on June 16th. When E.T.'s ship took off for home, the trail it left was a rainbow. <laughs> Will Sloan, is that true? Oh, I mean, on some poetic level, I'm sure it is. Uh, I, think th- I think it's a beautiful sentiment. You know what I was thinking is, um, what's that candy where its slogan is, taste the rainbow? Oh, uh, Skittles. Skittles. So if Skittles, if instead of having Reese's Pieces, E.T., followed a trail of skittles then he'd really be leaving a trail of rainbow do you think um eric roberts actually had it confused and he thought skittles were in the movie and that's what the reference was Mm, i don't think so i think he was just i think he was having a sincere touching moment about how the long-term effect of the the release of et back in 1982 on the planet 
was that it kind of left a rainbow-like feeling in the hearts of all of us who experienced it. I experienced it as a child, mm-hmm. and I certainly felt rainbowish. What's your interpretation of that, Liam? I mean, I think you're right, actually. I, I, I don't know if it's just a commentary on the movie, but also like a hope, like, hey, guys, remember E.T.? Oh. Come on, he left us a rainbow. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's aspirational, I think. Perhaps. Perhaps it was. I wonder why rainbow is capitalized. <laughs> I, I was wondering actually the same exact thing. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb profile is 2016's Spreading Darkness. Uh, I don't think we mentioned this one before, but the plot summary is a corrupt CEO grows increasingly paranoid. He is being stalked by his former victims and a psychiatrist who rewards patients with pink socks. The slogan or tagline for the movie is murder, mystery, mayhem, pink socks. And I'm not making that up. Uh, This film is supposed to come out in 2016. Uh, The first teaser for it was released way back in 2011. Uh, Director Josh Eisenstad was also a producer on the legendary Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven, (laughs) one of my very favorite movies of 2011. Uh, And the star of that film, Rena Riffle, uh, who also appeared in the original Showgirls, also appears in Spreading Darkness. So very excited to check out Spreading Darkness, which is a comedy, drama, mystery, thriller involving those wonderful pink socks. What do you think, Liam? I mean, I'm always excited to uh, hear about another Eric Roberts project. I'm wondering why this has been sitting somewhere since 2011. The poster looks very 2011. Like, I was very confused when I saw it. You mean it looks like a 2011 first-year Photoshop class? (laughs) Exactly. No, that's literally what I'm saying is that now a child in elementary school would do a better poster than this. I should mention before we stop talking about spreading darkness that uh, Eric Roberts also shares in the cast a cast member from Sicilian Vampire, one Mr. Robert Davey. And I'd also like to point out that Dominique Swain was in Frank D'Angelo's previous movie, No Deposit. So definitely they're drawing from the same pool of actors. Pool of actors. Well, the pool of actors of Sicilian Vampire is is sort of a. It's like the pool level above the pool which we usually spend our time in. But you're absolutely right. It actually seems like Dominique Swain and Eric Roberts are in some upcoming movies together. I don't know why that is, but I, I guess uh, I guess we'll we'll see. Robert Davey, where do you come down on him, Will Sloan? Uh, yeah, I heard he's an asshole in real life. Is that true? Well, I know he's a Republican. So mm-hmm. well, that confirms that. How you will, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I noticed, you know, I liked him in that James Bond movie. Um, I don't know if I could name another one of his movies. Oh, I guess I the saw Goonies. Him. Oh, was he in that? Uh, Wasn't I he think... one of the Fratellis? Am I wrong on that, Liam? I don't. I actually have no idea. Jesus Christ! He's in useless. An American Carol, which was that movie the the one right wing Zucker brother made. Yes. Um, so so that like drops him in my estimation a bit. I thought he brought a little bit of class to uh, Sicilian Vampire, honestly. I think he looks, I think it's interesting that the older he gets, the more he looks like Shemp Howard. He does a bit. You know, he also appeared in Tracks, the movie starring uh, Shadow Stevens. Hmm. That movie is, by the way, I love that movie. <laughs> it's really, really good. Good movie? Okay. There's a part of this movie, okay, I'm just going to mention my favorite part of Tracks because this is my podcast. <laughs> Our podcast, Liam. But there's a part in the movie where he's trying to threaten Tracks, played by Shadow Stevens. Uh, and it's a comedy, by the way. I should mention that. And um, the part of the central plot of that is that Shadow Stevens' character, he likes to make cookies. Like, he likes to bake them. But he's really bad at making cookies. And Robert Davey has some of these cookies. And he's like, they're really bad. And he goes back to his limo, this giant limousine. And he's like, hey, 
I'll tell you what I think of those cookies. And he leans forward and he just lets out this big fart. He just farts <laughs> for a really long time. And then he, he just has this look of like satisfaction on his face. And then he lights his cigar and the entire limo explodes. Wow. <laughs> That's his exit from the movie. <laughs> it's the most fucking amazing thing in the world. Also, he's a maniac cop too. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Got you on board with that? Anyway, I'm pretty sure he's in the Goonies. And if I'm wrong, please someone write in and let me know. That's all the Eric Roberts news for the past two weeks. We're going to take our first break. We need to get to it. And by it, I mean Sharktopus. We'll be right back with Sharktopus. We are two mariners, a ship's sole survivors in this belly of a whale. Its ribs are ceiling beams, its guts are carpeting. I guess we have some time to kill. You may not remember me, I was a child of three, and you a lad of eighteen. But I remember you, and I will relate to you how our histories in a A half-shark, half-octopus creature created for the military creates a whole lot of terror in Mexico, while the scientist who helped create it tries to capture slash kill it. It's 2010's Sharktopus, directed by Declan O'Brien, and starring a star-studded cast, including, of course, Eric Roberts, a bunch of people you've never heard of, and a cameo by Roger Corman. That's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was my first viewing, actually, of Sharktopus. I have seen a number of the shark... Low-budget shark movies that came in the wake, <laughs> no pun intended, of Sharktopus, uh, including things like Sharknado, of course. Uh, and to a, a very large extent, I actually think of this movie as being a trailblazer, but not necessarily in a positive way. I don't like most of those movies, especially the tongue-in-cheek uh, perspective they have on what a monster movie should be. I feel like it's a little too winky. However, that said, Sharktopus doesn't wink too much. It's played fairly straight all the way through. My biggest problem with it is that it's just not very entertaining. And the characters are... It's very difficult to give a shit about anyone, especially their eventual fate. I was losing interest about 20 minutes into this movie. And um, and it really never returned. Even in the, uh, the more violent um, uh, dispatchment of characters in the final 20 minutes. I was actually surprised at the level of violence. I think maybe the DVD version is uh, slightly more violent than the original television version but that's just my opinion will sloan what did you think of 2010's sharktopus um yeah i thought it was i thought it was bad um i thought it was it's that tone of you know like sharknado which i've actually never seen but it's that tone of kind of a prefabricated so bad it's good movie which um I think is the worst kind of movie. You it know, has, it's one of those kinds of movies where the concept is supposed to carry everything, right? Like you right. tell someone that it's about a, sh- a half shark, half octopus, and that's enough. You don't really have to do anything else. And the thing is, it has it has this tone that I that I think is very smug. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, what a what a weird campy movie this is. But all of the the whole movie feels jokey without actually being funny. 
Um, I mean, it, it looks like nobody really put a lot of effort into it. And yeah, it's just a very dispiriting experience. And in fact, even the resort town that they shot it in, in Mexico, doesn't even look very good. I mean, it looks like they filmed the whole movie on an overcast day. I mean, <laughs> if you can't even get like a beautiful Mexican resort town to look good. I don't know. It also feels weirdly sanitized. It just feels like it's not. And that's a that's a kind of an odd thing for me to say in that I almost would prefer a little bit of restraint in these sort of things. But maybe it's the made for TV aspect. It just seems like it's like a lot of people walking around in bikinis, a right. lot of attractive no nudity is what you're saying. Yeah, there's no nudity, but there's also it feels kind of sterilized from what probably the intentions of the the uh, the creators would have been otherwise. You know, when I think about kind of the classic, not even the 1950s classic style Roger Corman film, but more like early 80s um, alligator and piranha and things like that, where it really is, you know, a very simple concept, but with a, a very smart script and really well-drawn characters, that's not what you get here. The characters are paper thin. What what happens to them is never going to uh, really seem to matter. Really, you're there just for the cheap thrills of uh, skin and the flex of violence that happened uh, throughout it. Well, I mean, it, it, it. I feel like films like this rely on something tantal. There's something tantalizing, whether that is the actors or the effects or like the concept or whatever. And to me, I don't think it's just that it relies too hard on the concept of the fucking sharktopus, but it's that it's the worst. You know, if this if this was an older film and the sharktopus was this big foamy rubber thing, they would have filmed it differently. But instead, we get these really long shots of a really bad CGI shark octopus thing <laughs> that the actors have no idea how to respond like. There must have been nothing on set. Like, I assume there was nothing. There was no ball to look at. There was nothing for them to look at. And so, like, I, I guess I'm supposed to be amused that this thing has got tentacles. But there's nothing. Nothing happens where I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, like, there's no moment like that. Yeah, now, there are a lot of scenes where it's like uh, Bella Lugosi wrestling the octopus. <laughs> they're, like, they're being dragged by something just off camera. Um, in a way that, like, I mean, we see a lot of shots of this CGI sharktopus and it looks really bad, but it's clearly supposed to look bad right. because I mean, Roger Corman is nothing if not a businessman. So, <laughs> I, I mean, at this point in his career, I think he's just like, well, what do people know me for? They know me for cheesy horror movies. So we'll give them a, we'll give them a cheesy horror movie. And it must've found a certain level of success. There's been several sequels to sharktopus already. Uh, and in fact, Roger Corman has gone on to produce many copycat style movies to sharktopus since uh, I think, there must be diminishing returns you would think there would be on something like that. There's only so many times you can watch a very similar plot with uh, similar cardboard characters, but I guess the uh, I guess they're made cheaply enough that it's not that big of a deal. Eric Roberts was asked by the great Will Harris, friend of the show, about his appearing in Sharktopus on their Random Rolls episode, uh, Random Rolls interview over at the AV Club. Eric Roberts says. I was offered that script, and from the title alone, I said, I'm not even going to read it. Are you kidding? And they said, but you said you always wanted to work for this man, Roger Corman. And I said, yes, but I'm not going to make something quite this bad. Then he called me, and he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And believe me, it was not money. He does not give money. I'm glad he followed up on this, by the way. <laughs> Corman said to me, how many friends do you have? I said, I don't know, half a dozen. How many family members do you got? I don't know, 10. Okay, then you can all bring a friend and they can all stay in Puerto Vallarta while you make this movie for a month. Everybody's free while you're down there working. So I brought everyone I ever met, everyone I've ever been related to, and we all had a great time while I made a bad movie. That's the long and short of it. So Eric Roberts did Sharktopus 
for a vacation. What does that make you feel about Eric Roberts? Let's start with you, Will. I have... I'm just astonished to learn that he turned it down the first time because I was under the impression that he just took anything. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know, Sharktopus is a it's a Roger Corman sci-fi channel movie, which is not even anywhere near the bottom of his filmography in terms of prestige. I, um, I like how he had a problem with Sharktopus, but like did Cowboys versus Dinosaurs with no problem at all. Yeah, or a talking cat. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's, um, I, I think that anybody who, takes one look at Eric Roberts' IMDb page, knows that he's not doing it all for the art. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't think there's a lot of false advertising there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I don't hold that against him. Hey, if someone offered me tomorrow a free vacation and I got to work on some shitty movie, as long as that movie wasn't negatively affecting the world in some yeah. way, I don't see how that would be a problem. And of course, we know that Eric Roberts also does a lot of faith-based cinema as well. And I guess, you know, that's just part of the deal. You just work, 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 and maybe the the actual content of what you're working on doesn't necessarily have to reach a certain level. Liam, what did you think of 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 the fact that he agreed to be in Sharktopus strictly for the vacation? I mean, I can't judge him for it. It maybe makes me less excited to watch. If, it, if I knew that going into it, I might be less excited. I also don't know how old is Sharktopus? What year is this from? 2010. Huh. I, I would not be surprised that he said no initially because I think the movie is that bad on so many levels, like even on the script level. But then we watch Dark Moon Rising and I guess I guess Dark Moon <laughs> Rising is more recent and maybe he's gotten even less picky since 2010. It's just uh, it's only because of movies like Dark Moon Rising or even I, I don't know this. I think maybe Golden Shoes is better than this one. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure, though. But, I mean, there is that Roger Corman aspect. So, like, yes, the movie's terrible. Uh, but you take free vacation. You add on to it. You're going to have at least one interesting conversation with Roger Corman. That that seems kind of worth it, you know? Liam, sticking with you for a second, what do you think the appeal of these sorts of movies are? I mean, these are there, – there's been a, a glut of them since 2010, not just on the Sci-Fi Network. There's a lot that, that – uh, usually with very lurid titles that you find uh, going straight to DVD. Um, and of course, um, uh, you know, there's mockbuster versions of a lot of movies that have a lot of these exploitive elements. What do you think – what do you think keeps drawing people to them? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, my initial response because of movies like Sharktopus specifically – is uh, the irony factor. Mm-hmm. There's a big event in Philly that the, uh, I think it's the Academy of Natural Sciences does. It's like a bad movie night. And they they put a movie like Sharktopus or one of these other sorts of, uh, you know, uh, the mega shark versus Oglophon or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then they have two scientists who think they're fucking funny talk about the movie and they make jokes. And it's sort of that, it's, it's that MST3K inspired irony thing that you know the thing about mst3k is uh hodgson whatever he likes those movies like he actually likes those movies at these events no one fucking likes these movies they don't like the movie they're just literally like oh someone made a thing that we can now make fun of and not feel bad about making fun of it and uh, i kind of hate that i kind of have a deep despise for that uh and then but as much as i know that that's part of the expansion that doesn't explain them entirely. There has to be some part of their audience that's actually fucking stoked on these movies on a non-ironic level. And at that point, I don't understand. I understand that even less than the irony people. 
Do you have anything to add to that, Will? I would just add that I think whenever one of those Sharknado movies comes out, I think the people who get most excited about it are people who aren't necessarily big film people. Right. I think they're people who... Like the idea that you can ironically watch something and that something can be so bad it's good is such a mainstream concept now mm-hmm. um, that every everybody enjoys doing it. And this is something that just, like, it's intended for that purpose. And it has a big kick me sign on the back of it. So it's a, it's a safe movie for people who aren't big cinephiles to go watch and have fun with. And I think it's a movie that you can kind of ignore as much as you're watching it, you don't really have to pay attention yeah. to it. And it just has these kind of, you know, every 20 minutes or so, someone's going to die. You laugh at it and then you just move on. Um, I, I have to admit, even though these movies hold very little appeal to me, there's a movie that came out, I think it was two years ago, called Lava Lantula. And it's about these tarantulas that I guess are also made of lava. <laughs> That's another Roger Corman joint. That's another Roger Corman joint. And that one stars um, Steve Gutenberg. Oh. But oh. Uh, but the appeal of it to me was the knowledge that the supporting cast were like there's also three other members of the Police Academy franchise as supporting characters, including Michael Winslow in the, in that movie. And I think in the sequel, La Valentula 2 as well. And I have to be honest, there was a part of me that's like, oh, I do want to see that, don't I? I do want to <laughs> see a Police Academy reunion in the midst of a monster movie. But I just know, I mean, I know I was going to be disappointed. And honestly, I haven't seen it yet. So obviously the pull wasn't so strong. But I, I can't say that it, I was completely dismissive of the idea of that particular one. But I do have to say that the, that glut of shark-specific movies, that, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Especially because they are universally awful. I assume it's it's Jaws, right? Is it still the lingering influence of Jaws that has inspired it? You mean you would think so, but then there was that huge gap where we really didn't see many Jaws inspired movies at all, and they're really, you know, I mean, all throughout the eighties, there, especially because Jaws sequels were continuing to come out, you know, you'd still see it, especially in the early eighties with the uh, with Jaws two, and it just seemed like there was that glut of Italian ripoffs at that point. But it, it, there was a very large gap. I wonder what it was that brought it back, or maybe I think it's. I think it's these sci-fi channel type movies. I think it starts with Mega Shark, Mega Shark versus Dino, whatever. Sure, sure. But what 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 made that the idea to go to? Right. Oh, I think I think uh, you could go back to um, uh, uh, well, what's the movie where Samuel Jackson gets immediately Deep eaten Blue by Sea? The... Yes, <laughs> I think I think you could go back to Deep Blue Sea, and I think there's been some mildly uh, successful sci-fi movies. I've seen them on shelves. And for whatever reason, the one that seemed to have uh, to have really actually broken this out a little bit was, I think, this one, Sharktopus. Yeah, I... Sharktopus got a lot more traction than, you know, Mega Shark or any of these other Johns. And then I think <sighs> the, the that started the attention trend, and then fucking Sharknado just explode. I think Sharknado is a cultural force even beyond Sharktopus. It's like oh, it fucking is. huge. Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering actually maybe if it might have to do with the fact that shooting at these resorts or these beaches that there it's a lot easier to kind of make deals uh in in regards to shooting at them so all you really need you know you have these locations you have these attractive people on beaches and then all you really need is the special effects of the the creature and you have a movie for the most part uh, well they they tend to get these nine these washed up 90s actors yes. a few of them have these washed up 90s actors that someone's like Oh, I remember. I remember Urkel. What the what, what's Urkel doing now? Let me check this out. What's yeah. going on with Urkel? <laughs> That's right. Did you know Will Sloan before Sharknado that his name was Ian Zering and not Ian Zering? Oh well, I mean, whatever he wants to call himself is fine by me. <laughs> 
Roger Corman has a cameo. Or oh, actually, it's probably oh, not. I think it's ever. <laughs> it's actually, I think, maybe a credited part here in Sharktopus where uh, he appears as a greedy beach bum, I guess you would describe him. Uh, what did you think of his small part in the movie, Will? Uh, it made me cringe a little bit. Um, Very Stanley-ish for a moment, wasn't it? I, I, You know, I actually saw a few years ago, I saw another one of these things. I don't know if it was Dino Croc versus Super Gator or <laughs> one of them. Uh, but he actually has a large supporting role in one of these other ones. And he is a terrible actor. Mm-hmm. Um, just a tremendously awkward screen presence. I will say, though, like, as much as I cringe seeing him in this movie, uh, I I like, I kind of, it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. Just sure. because, you know, we all love Roger Corman. And it's, I mean, in, in, a, in a desert, like... Uh, Sharktopus. It's nice to have one thing in it that I feel a little bit of affection towards. And, and honestly, he's he's his small appearance is one of the highlights of the movie, uh, especially because it's sort of it's a wink, obviously, but it's not so much of a wink that it's like, hey, I'm Roger Corman. <laughs> it's right. just it's just him being cheap, which is what Roger Corman is known to be. Liam, what was your favorite moment in Sharktopus? <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult for me to say. Um, I think not to ruin it for anybody, uh-huh. but Eric Roberts demise in the what? film. He, what now? Yeah, that was pretty good. It was, it was good because he, as well as every other person holding a gun, just didn't seem to, uh, get directions on how humans hold guns. Like no one had shown them a picture of a human with a gun before. So they're just sort of holding them at weird angles, not really pointing them at the shark per se. Uh, it was it was pretty magical. That was a pretty magical moment. Uh, I got to say also, though, that when the Sharktopus is mysteriously on top of a set piece of uh, what appear to be performers, and then <laughs> the woman with the fire thing just starts fighting the Sharktopus with her fire pole, that was also pretty magic. Was, there's not a lot of bright moments in this film, but that was one of the moments where I was like, Oh, okay. That's what we're gonna go with. All right. Let's let's see where this goes. That's interesting. I'm down with what that woman was trying to do. Um, I have no idea what was going on in that scene. Will Sloan, do you think that the reason Eric Roberts has not been asked to be in one of the Sharknado movies is because he starred in Shark Sharktopus? Well, the Sharknado movies I know have been getting some pretty uh, some pretty big deal um, washed up celebs and yeah. The, didn't the last one have Anthony Weiner in it? I believe, it, and uh, yeah, and Conan O'Brien I think was in it. Uh, so I, mean, I don't think they need Eric Roberts. Well, they, well, sadly, I mean, if I ruled the world, sure he'd be in Sharknado, but uh, I don't I don't think they think they need him. Well, while we're on the topic of Eric Roberts, Will Sloan, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in Sharknado? Did he seem, not Sharknado, sorry, in Sharktopus, <laughs> easy mistake to make. Did, did he seem as detached as that interview question <laughs> seemed like he should be? I mean, I've seen more committed performances, but I would say that he is hands down the best actor in the film. I think he brings he brings charisma to it and... Uh, yeah, he seems present. I mean, the rest of the actors have a very kind of porny vibe to them. Oh, yes, they, they do. They, or they, or if not porn, they they seem like they were they got them off Craigslist. So <laughs> I mean, by default, he's the best actor in the film, and I always liked seeing him on screen. He's charismatic. Uh, they have a character who is um, supposed to be the expert on like shark tracking or shark to puss tracking, and before he's introduced. There's people talking about him, right? And how he's kind of like, he's almost described as like the grizzled veteran. He's almost like the Quint, right? From this from this version of Jaws. And then he's introduced and he's just this young, hunky guy. 
I think it's actually interesting how much screen time Eric Roberts has in this film. Certainly um, early in the movie, he has a lot of screen time. Yeah, it's more than I'm accustomed to seeing from him. So there's that. That, that is something, especially if he's one of the bright spots in terms of acting. Liam, what did you think of Eric Roberts in Sharktopus? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he was basically the only actor in the film. Like, he seemed to be the only person who was... And, and I don't know that this is one of his stronger performances, but the bar is set so low that I was just like, man, Eric Roberts is doing all right. You know, I, I really thought he was going to phone it in, and he, he's okay in this movie. I mean, to be fair, every time he says pumpkin it kind of makes my skin crawl but i feel like but i feel like that's maybe final words (laughs) i feel like maybe that's part of the point i will say this though uh the cameraman for the awful newswoman Mm -hmm. uh where do i know that guy from he looked familiar to me and i i was a little confused by that and i and i there's many ways to find out the answer to that question i know i was kind of i was kind of hoping you you had done that research for me well let's hope uh, let's hope it's this character (laughs) uh no this guy right here has only done three movies so probably not him uh i'll get back to you on that one liam i do want to quickly mention ralph garman's performance as captain jack uh ralph garman i don't know anything about him but i do know he podcasts he's a podcaster with kevin smith uh, and has appeared in all of his recent movies. Um, uh, he's fine in a very small role before he's getting murdered. He's one of the uh, better actors in the film. He's, but... he's one of the few people who seem to be making an actual effort. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to give him much more than that. I mean, he definitely seems to be there. Uh, I mean, I assume he has a following. He must be there for some sort of like an inside joke. Um, <laughs> and I guess he got a free vacation in uh, in Mexico, too. So that's great. Oh, my God. I'm so right. Okay, sorry. Finish right. your thing. No, no. Now we know. Now I, I, I want to hear. I'm, I'm sitting on the Nacho my... Libre. Oh, owns the camera guy was in Nacho Libre. Not bad. And what's weird about that is this definitely came out way after Nacho Libre. So, uh, uh, I guess Nacho Libre was not the door into stardom that one would hope. Oh, that's sad. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Yes, I guess. I really was thinking this guy kind of looks like the guy from Nacho Libre. What went wrong with that guy? And uh, yeah, apparently something did go wrong with him. Well, he's still working. Leave the guy alone. (laughs) To work with Roger Corman. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Hey, we're not being we're not being jerks about this. If someone offered me the opportunity to work for Roger Corman, even now in any capacity, I would do it. Well, to be be fair, we're going to see his work again in a little movie called compadres did, did, did roger corman produce compadres no i mean the dude that was in this movie i don't give a guy. fuck about that <laughs> why are you still talking about this guy he's still working i'm like he is still working and we're gonna watch his movie eric roberts is in that movie that's why we're gonna watch oh my god <laughs> i think is kevin pollack in that movie as well uh, I don't know. I just closed the window because I didn't right. think it anymore. All you right. yelled at me. So so uh, I guess now that we're finished, mercifully, uh, the season of Celebrity Rehab, we can go back to the classic Eric Roberts scale and answer whether in Sharktopus, Eric Roberts is the fucking man or not. I'm going to start with our guest, Will Sloan. In Sharktopus, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Uh, yeah, he's the fucking man. I was always happy to see him. He's the best actor in the film. Yeah, I, I would say an unqualified yes. And he dies well. Yes. <laughs> Liam, fucking man or no? Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta agree with Will on this one that uh, you know he holds his own. He's he's good. It, it, he he doesn't seem like he's asleep. So yeah. 
there isn't a lot to recommend Sharktopus. It's interesting. I was talking to uh, my co-host on the No Budget Nightmares podcast last night about Sharktopus, and he said that he loved it. In fact, at the time when it came out, he wrote a review, an actual written review, and gave it five stars out of five. Oh, and wow. uh, and I was very angry <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> but uh, as I mentioned, there isn't a lot that I enjoyed about Sharktopus, but one of the things I did enjoy very much was the performance of Eric Roberts. Yes, the three of us say Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Let's take our next break. But when we return, it's the main event. It's Sicilian Vampire from 2015. Will Sloan has a lot to say about this. I'm sure Liam does as well. <laughs> we'll take a break. When we come back, Sicilian Vampire. Oh, one, two, three, four. Whoa, I'm just a gigolo. Everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. They forever dance, I'll each romance. Ooh, what to say? And there will come a day when you will pass away. What will they say about me when the end comes? I know. Equal parts Goodfellas and Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> a reputed mobster was hoping to get away to the family hunting lodge for a little rest and relaxation and create some memories. Instead, what he got was a night he will never forget. He got bit by a freaking bat! Oh, did he ever. 2015 Sicilian Vampire, directed by Frank D'Angelo, someone that we've mentioned previously on Eric Roberts, is the fucking man. Now, I live in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is close enough to Toronto to have a sense of the things that are important to Torontonians. <laughs> but that said, until I started reading about Sicilian Vampire and hearing about it, my knowledge of Frank D'Angelo was almost nil. The person who really got me curious and interested was Will Sloan. Will, why do people care about Frank D'Angelo? Oh, God. I mean, he's such a, he's a kind of a multifaceted, I'm sorry, he's kind of a multifaceted man. Uh, I'll just try to, like, as briefly as possible, explain who he is. Please. Um, so Frank D'Angelo is a Canadian beverage mogul. He kind of made his name selling apple juice, and he used to run a brewery called Steelback. And now he's involved in Arizona iced tea and cheetah energy drink. Anyway, he became kind of notorious in the greater Toronto area for always appearing in his commercials. And he had one commercial that was really famous for <laughs> Cheetah Energy Drink, where he got Ben Johnson, the uh, disgraced Olympic track star. And the commercial has him interviewing Ben Johnson and saying, oh, tell me, uh, Ben, do you cheetah? And Ben Johnson goes, yes, I cheetah all the time. And he holds up a can of Cheetah Energy Drink. Um, and so from, from his career as a TV pitchman for his products, he's also kind of willed into existence a career as an entertainer. So he tours as a singer. Uh, he has a late night talk show that he has on a purchased time slot. It's called <laughs> The Being Frank Show. Um, he has CDs. He has, a, he has an autobiography where he calls himself the James Bond of the beverage world. Fucking Christ. <laughs> and uh, he, he makes the, and you know, I love him. I think he's great. Uh, he makes these films that he stars in and he writes and he directs. Um, and the films are uh, funded, at least in part, by a pharmaceutical billionaire called Barry Sherman. And they tried to purchase a CFL team together. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
Frank's life <laughs> is kind of a history of these wonderful little little moments. He he tried to purchase a CFL team. There was a time when Steelback Brewery t- um, took over sponsorship of the Toronto Indy, the auto race, right? Which is one of the big events in Toronto, and so they renamed it the Steelback Indy after his beer company. And then, like two months later, Steelback went out of business. Uh, and, and I mean, the, the saddest part in Frank's life was that he was once, uh, uh, sued for sexual assault. Oh, uh, so I'm sorry to bring it down. He was found not guilty. The, mm-hmm. the judge said he's probably guilty, but it's a, he said, she said, and his lawyer said, if a guy is found not guilty in court, that means he didn't do it. So mm-hmm. take, take of that what you will. Uh, well, <laughs> he's been found not guilty in the court of law. Well, I should say to you, Will Sloan, that Sicilian Vampire currently has an 8.8 out of 10 user rating on the Internet Movie Database. So whatever you might say about Frank D'Angelo, the man, certainly Sicilian Vampire, the movie, is unimpeachable. That's true. Did you know that Citizen Kane has 8.4? It's just something to think about. (laughs) Is that the case? (laughs) Sicilian Vampire has a all-star cast. And usually I'd be saying that ironically, but no, in this case... It really does have an all-star cast, including Daniel Baldwin. Well, let's start somewhere. Armand Asante, <laughs> James Caan is in this movie. Robert Davey, as we mentioned before. Phil Esposito, the famous hockey star. Daryl Hannah, uh, the Canadian actor Art Hindle from uh, from Cronenberg's The Brood, fruit to you Americans out there. Robert Loja making a brief appearance. And Eric Roberts. Why did all of these actors decide to be in this movie, Will? <laughs> Well, from what I understand, um, a lot of these actors since, I mean, you know, a lot of them are great actors, but a lot of them aren't really at the height of their drawing power anymore. Mm-hmm. So That's true. they basically, they basically charge a day rate and you can get them for, for a day for, you know, a fixed amount of money. And also I hear that Frank feeds them really well on set. So <laughs> I guess he provides some sort of a good atmosphere because some of these people keep coming back to work for him again and again. Yeah, in fact, his newest movie, The Red Maple Leaf, which I guess was it's already been completed and is coming out this year, that has a, a, even a, a really a more impressive cast, including, again, Robert Loggia, which is hard to believe considering he's passed away quite a while ago at this point, uh, <laughs> as well as Martin Landau, Margot Kidder, uh, Chris Christopherson, and Mira Sorvino, and Paul Sorvino is coming back again, and so is Armand Asante and Daniel Baldwin. Like you said, yeah, he gets actors to return, so I guess his sets are fun. But what are some of the, because you, you've seen more of his movies certainly than I have, what are some of the things that, that typify a, uh, a Frank D'Angelo movie? Well, a lot of them are kind of like mob world uh, films. He's, he definitely, he wears his influences on his sleeve. Uh, there's a lot of Scorsese, a lot of Coppola, and in the way that there are a lot of scenes of mobsters talking to each other, <laughs> there's, kind of a, there's kind of a Tarantino quality to them. Um, I would say that, like, the other thing that typifies them is their overwhelming frankness. Hmm. So Frank, uh, 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 the agenda, and I say this with love, the agenda of the film seems to be to make Frank D'Angelo look cool. Yes. So, yes, that is absolutely, it is impossible not to take that away from the movie when you're watching it. Right, which, uh, you know, I, I can understand. If I was given the money to make a movie, I might do that myself. Um, but, but also, like, the soundtrack has nonstop Frank D'Angelo music. Something and, like there's something like 17 or 18 s- songs that are all Frank D'Angelo. From it's packed with yeah. music. And whenever anybody has a drink, they're drinking one of they're drinking like an Arizona <laughs> iced tea or one of his energy drinks. So, <laughs> so it kind of feels like being in a hall of mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, with all of that said, Will, I do know that you wrote what well, I'll, I'll call it the review for Sicilian Vampire for the Globe and Mail here in Canada. How did that come about? And what do you think of Sicilian Vampire? Well, I guess for better or worse, it came about because I guess I've developed some sort of a reputation for knowing a lot about Frank D'Angelo. Uh, I wrote a long article for about him for a website here called Torontoist, which later got quoted in a Vanity Fair article about Sicilian Vampire, um, which is for sure the biggest media exposure that Frank ever got <laughs> in the U.S. Uh, the, I think the Vanity Fair article by Vadim Rizov was called How Did an Oscar-Winning Legend End Up in This Terrible Vampire Film? Something like that. Re- referring to James Caan in this yeah. case. Though there, there were, of course, a, a, a lot of award-winning actors in this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I was asked, uh, I was offered, it, which doesn't happen that often, I was offered a chance to review the movie. And, of course, I took it because I love Frank D'Angelo and his films. Yeah. And you saw it in a theater in Toronto. Yes. I took a long trip up to the Colossus Vaughn, which is a bit off the beaten path um, for, for a downtowner like myself. Uh, I saw it. Opening night, so there were, there were, you know, it was an okay audience. A lot of people stayed during the credits, which makes me think that a lot of people probably knew somebody involved in the production. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did you, uh, like, uh, just give us the gist of, of what were your thoughts on the movie? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I gotta be honest. I think the movie doesn't work. Um, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But... <laughs> I would say that if you're like me and you're and you're into Frank D'Angelo's films, uh, it has a lot of pleasure. And I feel like I've, I'm so into Frank D'Angelo and I've spent so much time thinking about him that I, you know, I used to make fun of him a lot. And I feel like I can't entirely dismiss him at this point because clearly I keep coming back. Clearly he has some pull on me. So say that you encountered Frank D'Angelo in your life. And now has that ever happened before? Have you actually met the man? I haven't met him. I've seen him live. <laughs> I, I did I did see him perform at his restaurant, the Forget About It Supper Club. That is which, which amazing. Was, which was great. I mean, you know, the guy is not totally without talent. He can uh, carry a tune. Sure, certainly. But he must be aware of who you are at this point, since you Yes, he is. Yes. And what do you think he thinks of you, Will Sloan? Well, actually, the the first article that I wrote um, for Torontoist, he was pretty sporting about it. He tweeted it and he said, it's not complimentary, but the writing is decent, which I thought was a lot more generous than, you know. He would know about decent writing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, later on on Twitter, he called me a loser and he called mm. me a stalker. Oh. Um, I mean, I am a loser. There's no doubt about that. But I, I'm not a stalker. Hey, we say this all the time on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We are not stalkers. Yeah. <laughs> we are just uh, people who have a general interest in a specific actor, just like you have a specific yeah. interest in Frank D'Angelo. At the Enthusi- same time, written, enthusiasts. Written, yeah, enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. There you go. At the same time, I've written a lot about Frank D'Angelo, so I don't feel like I can be dismissed at this point. Like I'm taking, I take his body of work very seriously, and I'm very interested in it. And I think, I think he is a real auteur. I, that actually, that would be very difficult to deny. Now, with all of that said, Liam, what did you think of Sicilian Vampire? Well, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I went into it with some idea that this was not going to be your average film. So I, I guess <laughs> I went into it with the expectation of, okay, this guy is kind of a, 
he does these vanity movies. This is definitely going to be about him. Like, I knew a little bit of that. And I hadn't read that much. It's just the feeling I've gotten from people. I did not expect it to be so openly. I, I guess my, my experience of vanity projects is that you pretend it's not a vanity project. In some way, you don't get take every opportunity. But from the music, the character... I mean, I will say this. His character in the film, uh, which is... Uh, correct me, what is his name? Santino. Santino. I keep wanting to say Sal, but that's not it. Santino. Santino in the movie, though, I'm, I would like to know if he thinks of Santino as a relatable, hmm. likable character or not. Like, it, it's a, it, it, it plays out in the end is kind of a revenge movie, or at least there's a, a moment that's about revenge and revenge movies really only work. If you like the guy who's getting revenge, if you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe you had it coming, buddy. It doesn't really work. Mm. And in the movie, there's no reason for me to care about anybody. Really? I mean, he cares about his family. Did you not pick up on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really a little bit thrown in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a cons- it, clearly that's a consistent theme is that because he's Sicilian, he can't help it. He cares about his family. Um, I mean, he yeah, fucks around on his wife, but he stops right hey, before he, he dies. Felt bad about it. Once he became a vampire, a creature usually known for its hedonistic excesses. Not for him. <laughs> for him, it's about family. That's what real <laughs> vampirism is about. So. Let me tell you my thoughts on Sicilian Vampire. Uh, it, it, I can't say I really actively disliked it, mostly because it's such a fascinating movie to watch. And that's entirely because of the fact that it's a vanity project. And because when you're watching it and having Frank D'Angelo star in it and be surrounded by all of these very famous actors. So you have Robert Davey and you have Armand Asante and you have his wife played by Daryl Hannah. And they're all looking at him with this kind of awe. Right? Where it's very much like he's the leader of the gang. We have to keep him happy. Hey, calm down there, Santino. Hey, let's uh, let's uh, get up there and do a song. Like they, he has paid these people to be his buddies, and he's hanging around these set. Like there are twenty minute sequences of people just sitting around a table talking, and it's supposed to be like you mentioned, Will, almost like a Tarantino esque uh, banter. That is supposed to kind of tell us something about these characters, but it doesn't really tell us anything about them. They just like shitty jokes and like telling them sometimes over and over again. And I think those scenes are like a hangout movie, as you would say, which is hard because like I actively hate hanging out with these characters. That's and that's the thing. I it's there's nothing kind of there's no draw to it. Their life doesn't seem like it would be something that would be that much fun. They seem to be angry all the time. The movie starts with, um, with as, as I mentioned in the plot summary at the beginning, that Frank and his buddies, they go to this place once a month just to hang out and play cards and drink or whatever. So we get like the first half hour of the movie is just them going to this place, sitting around playing cards, telling bad jokes. It does establish how they're all kind of related to each other and where the friendships are. And then it culminates in someone getting, a, what is it, a box of bananas. <laughs> and they open it and there's a bat inside and the bat... Bites Frank on the neck. And, and turns... I don't think you're doing justice to how this scene actually plays out. <laughs> Please elaborate for me, Will Sloan. Well, I see. I don't know if I can do it justice either. You just kind of have to see it to believe it. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like this puppet jumps out. <laughs> uh, there's some kind of fancy editing that's being Wait, done. Can, can we go back to how this whole morning starts? 
<laughs> we're, we're supposed to believe that everyone got so tired playing cards that sitting at a kitchen table in what I assume are not very comfortable chairs, they all just crashed. Just at the table. No, not on a couch. <laughs> yeah, not on a couch, not like in any sort of reclined position. They're just asleep. They wake up, and the one guy's like, oh, we're awake now. I should get the <laughs> box of bananas. And then they're like, oh, what the fuck are you, the bananas? I so there's one guy in this gang, in this uh, group that, that is led by Frank D'Angelo, who's uh, a little snivelly and he wears glasses and everyone hates him and treats him like shit for the entire movie. And uh, and there's there's always like uh, there's there's suspicion laid upon him because there's one scene where he goes off to make a phone call and you're like, hey, what's up with that guy? And he ends up being the turncoat. And after he turns on this gang and kind of uh, basically tells it doesn't seem like he does anything very, uh, very uh, ratty. All he says is, <laughs> is that Frank or Santino is at this location alone. And that's pretty much it. So now go kill him. But even afterwards, Paul Sorvino, who's the leader of the other guys, he can't even stand the guy. He's like, I fucking hate rats. Get out of here. I'll plug you myself. That sort of shit. And it's just like, what was the point of this character? Nobody liked him. He seems so pathetic. I thought at some point he was going to be proven that, hey, unlike what your expectation was. He's actually not a turncoat at all. He comes and does something heroic. But no, all that does is lead into the climax of the movie, the final 20 minutes, after the the assassination attempt is made upon Santino, played by Frank D'Angelo. He's shot in the head, and everyone thinks he's dead, but he's not because he's a vampire. And he goes and kills all of the other gangsters, who seem to be just as unpleasant as his group of guys. (laughs) And then for some reason, even though he's been told by his doctor, played by James Caan, that he's going to live forever. But by the way, James Caan in a very needy role because he wants Frank to bite him so badly afterwards. <laughs> that he's going to, now he has to walk the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because I guess being a vampire, he's too worried about uh, hurting his family. Even though it doesn't seem to suggest that he has this like overwhelming urge to hurt people, he seems very in control. I mean, the whole time I was thinking, like, what is the mythology of vampires that D'Angelo is working with? Like, we, we like it at first, it doesn't seem like he has any of their weaknesses until he gets to the church. And then all of a sudden he's on fire. Now he can walk in the sun. That's cool. Sun is fine. Uh, but he doesn't seem to need blood ever. And then he catches on fire at the church. So that's what I, I was thinking about that. Like, oh, I want to figure out what exactly he thinks about vampires to see how he plays it out. But. I'm confused what he thinks about anything at the end of this movie. Like, <laughs> how is your character, like, from scene one, he just berates his, I mean, even with that little guy who turns out to be the turncoat, the first thing we see is, get in the trunk or I'll shoot you right here. Yeah. That's a, fun, that's a funny joke. We're funny joke time. And then when he looks at one of the cards he's not supposed to look at, he gets a knife right by his eye. Like, I don't know. I feel I really felt bad for that dude, even if he turned out to also be a sniveling piece of shit. <laughs> I like that opening scene because, like, Santo's boys, they drive up to his house and they're listening to Frank singing just a gigolo on the radio and they're singing along to it. And they're yes. like, they're so into it. <laughs> and and Frank comes out. And he's like, hey, what the fuck you guys doing? It's 6 a.m. What are you what are you singing? Yeah, you're playing that music so loud for. Yeah, you, you, uh, <laughs> and he's he just berates them with all this verbal abuse and like we've only seen him for about a minute before and immediately i dislike this man and i don't know if we're supposed to view this as like 
oh, you know, he's he's the boss, and look at these goofy underlings. Yeah, right. Uh, I like look, how his look, wife... Look these guys he got to deal with. I like how his wife is played by Daryl Hannah. It's like this thing. It's like, yeah, Daryl Hannah's going to play my wife. She's <laughs> go, she's going to be perfect. She's going to trust me implicitly. She's going to make literally a mountain of food for me so to take food. with me. She's like, baby, come back to bed. <laughs> uh, I've been up all night making lasagna for you. <laughs> she's not going to point out it's weird that I put on a button-up leather shirt. And then put a flannel over top of that. Like, that's just normal. I'm walking out of the house like that. I also love that there's a scene where James Caan, because he recognizes that uh, that that Frank D'Angelo has become a vampire and is now virtually immortal. He looks at him. He's talking about, look, your face. It's a baby face. Right? Yeah. It's like, you look so young. And it's like, no, <laughs> you don't. You look kind of. I mean, compared to Robert Davey, who looks to be melting in the movie, <laughs> yeah. he looks young. But, I mean, he looks like Frank D'Angelo looks, which looks like, a you know, a... He certainly doesn't look like, like a guy who all of his wrinkles and scars are vanishing because yeah. he, he's now a vampire. I actually want to something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, so, go ahead. I, 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 all I was going to say real quick was, do you think the James Conn thing is played for humor? Is that supposed to be funny? All those parts where he's like, oh, just give me a little snip. Give me a little little bite. Like, I started to think, like, is this the comedic relief of the film? I actually I think, think that it's supposed to be a bit sad. Yeah, I think it, certainly when he was pulling up in front of the guy's house and calling him. I don't know. Like... I almost <laughs> I felt bad for James Conn in this movie, mostly because he actually is good. Like he's pretty good in his uh, small appearance in it, mm-hmm. um, and and he he's kind of hunched over. I just haven't seen James Conn in a while. I actually felt really bad for him <laughs> as I watched well, him in this movie. According to TMZ, this movie actually came up in James Conn's uh, most recent divorce suit. Uh, suppose according to TMZ again, I don't know if this is true, but according to them. Um, he had he talked about how to pay for his alimony in court. He said that to pay for his alimony, he had to do uh, humiliating projects like Sicilian Vampire. But then again, uh, James Conn is coming back for the yeah. next Frank movie, so you know maybe maybe TMZ's wrong. But the thing I want to bring up about James Conn just briefly is I love the build up to James Conn's I- intro. So Frank is waiting for him in the lobby of of the office building, which looks to be some sort of hotel. Sure. Uh, and and then James Conn, he waits for like 30 seconds, and then James Conn finally comes down. Oh, Santo, great to finally meet you. And uh, they shake hands. And then you see them like go to the elevator and then go up the elevator and then mm-hmm. go into the office and then sit down. And it has this buildup to it. It's like Clash of the Titans, you know? <laughs> finally. Like, <laughs> it's like De Niro and Pacino going for coffee and heat, you know? <laughs> And I think I think in that scene with the two of them sitting there at the desk talking, it's like I think Frank is more engaged in that scene than he is in any other scene. Like he's so on, right? Because it's like this is the this is the Clash of the Titans. This is the guy. This is the one they're going to remember me for here, face to face with the great James Con. I like how James Con describes himself as like a doctor. But he, he's like, yeah, I got the stethoscope and everything. You know, medical doctor, I can write prescriptions. It's like, that's not how doctors describe themselves. <laughs> I mean, a lot of his dialogue, I felt like it, it felt improvised. It felt like he just was like, yeah, I'll just say kind of what I need to say. Like, yeah, it's fine. You know, you get the blood is important. We'll take your blood or whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Four vials, very important. But I'd like to know what you guys think of Frank as an actor, because I think... Um, 
he's not exactly leading man material, uh, but I think he has a weird charisma to him. He's not a bad actor. And I mean, we've yeah. seen a lot of bad performances in a lot of these Eric Roberts movies. He, I wouldn't say he's necessarily natural in front of a camera. The problem with him is that he has, like you said, he has a certain charisma, but it's not the sort of charisma that a leading man would necessarily have. He should be playing one of the friends of the lead actor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the role he's kind of made to be in. To have him as a lead, it's just, you, you. there's a part of my brain that was all throughout the movie. If I didn't know who Frank D'Angelo was, or at least a general idea, I'd be like, why is this guy starring in this movie? And of course, mm-hmm. the answer to that, we all know. But otherwise, there's no reason for it. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think I I I was impressed, actually, because I expected worse. Like, I expected it to be a disaster. And I'm like, he's all right. He's got something. But I, I wonder if I would actually like to see him in someone else's movie just to see if he could. Like, a lot of the dialogue, it is of a certain kind of dialect that didn't actually sound natural coming out of most people's mouths. Right. Like it felt very forced, like... This is how the Gambinos talk. Hey, fucking fuck a fuck. And it's just like, it's like none of it felt real to me. And so I'm like, well, I wonder if he had some more natural dialogue and he wasn't trying. You know, there's the the few parts where he's trying to express emotion. That emotion is at a level that I don't think he's actually capable of pulling mm. out of his hat or his toupee or whatever. But um, if, if 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 he was given something that was a little bit more natural less of a performance in the sense of pretending to be something maybe he's not and maybe less like i'm dealing with such deep emotions about my family and more like hey how are you today like maybe he could could be interesting you know especially because when he is delivering some of the lines there is like a snappiness to it he's 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 you know that he's clearly when you say he's been a singer like he's been on stage he knows how to be in front of people it's just what he's saying is like the all the actual written dialogue is terrible and dumb and it's just a like a like a caricature that doesn't know it's a character it's not trying to be funny but it felt that way gentlemen i have to take your attention away from frank d'angelo for a moment and oh, bring yeah. it bring it to eric roberts the star of sicilian vampire <laughs> uh this is one of those movies and we've seen uh, quite a few of them where eric roberts's performance is minimal he's in i think two scenes in the entire movie he does get one showcase where frank d'angelo after murdering a bunch of people uh eric roberts plays a cop he's him and art hindle are both detectives who've apparently been following frank d'angelo for years i don't know why it's been so difficult to bust him he seems to openly threaten people on a regular basis but uh they uh finally kind of catch him in the act when he's murdering a bunch of people at the end and he gives him sort of an ultimatum that they can go home and have hot cocoa or they can just die right there. And then Eric Roberts is like, yeah, I like cocoa. And he goes home. And that's that's basically the entire Eric Roberts performance in this movie. What did you think of his performance, Will? Well, I, I question the whole subplot. I think in a movie that's over two hours long. Oh, man. We forgot uh, to mention that, by the way. This is yeah. a, This movie is too long. Yeah. I think in a movie that's that long, this kind of like total non-starter. I mean, the the way this subplot is resolved, it's almost like an insult to the audience that that, that our time has been wasted on this subplot. Uh, As for Eric Roberts' performance, I mean, well, the whole subplot, I think, gives the impression of he had Eric Roberts for a day, so let's write a part for him. Exactly. And I think Eric Roberts is fine. Uh, There's nothing wrong with his performance. 
Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Raves. Raves from Will Sloan. Liam, what did you think of Eric Roberts and his brief performance in Sicilian Vampire? His opening speech about how they're they're fucking speech. scumbags and they don't they don't pay taxes or whatever. That was I was like, oh, we're gonna get this smarmy Eric Roberts. Like I'm so fucking stoked on that. And then he just does nothing. I mean, even the joke is like nothing, you know. And again, I mean, would I take this weird subplot over the musical sequence where he's singing? Yeah. Would I take it over maybe five minutes of the 25 minute poker game? Sure. (laughs) It's better than those things. But overall, I got to agree with Will that you don't need it. It doesn't. it, it, It is so superfluous in a movie in which so many things are superfluous that like. It, I just, you know, it doesn't need to be there. So, you know, he's he does all right with some of it, but it definitely felt it. it I almost felt like they must have shot his parts sequentially because it's almost like by the last scene, he's kind of tired. He's kind of done for the day. <laughs> he's ready to go be not in Toronto right now. So I don't know. <laughs> I got to get back to the set of suits to, to shoot yeah. a few more scenes. <laughs> well, we disagree on the musical sequence because I think that is the high point of the film without a doubt when uh, when santa when they're at the the nightclub and santo's boys say to him hey you gotta get on stage you gotta sing just a gigolo and and santo is like oh no come on guys i i can't get on stage i can't do it and they're like no come on and then he gets on stage and of course does a scorching rendition <laughs> of just a gigolo with armand asante singing background vocals yeah, like michael perret <laughs> and that I- so so this this mob vampire movie has just stopped for five minutes so so we can get just a gigolo. And then the song ends and Santo is looking down at his feet like, oh, you know, thanks, guys. Shucks. And Armand Asante has got his arm around him like, hey, this guy, hey, oh, this guy. And, and Santo is like, uh, you know, you're worse than my old lady. <laughs> yeah, you guys pulling me up here like that. Uh I um I do have to say that uh, just like our other film that we covered with Armando Santi on this podcast, the Steam Experiment, I like Armando Santi. I think he is a very natural actor, and I think he actually is very good in this movie. And I think he would have been even better in the lead as Santo. Uh, yeah. But but uh, but you know what? If I wanted to have a best friend who was going to pull me up on stage to do a performance of a song that no one actually wants to hear, it, it would probably be an Armando Santi type character, maybe in the form of one Liam O'Donnell. What do you think, Liam? Uh, I wouldn't pull you up. I guess I guess you're the singer in this relationship. Oh no, definitely not. All right, Mr. Hardcore. I would probably I would probably be the 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 schmarmy guy who gets picked on and threatened to put in the trunk. <laughs> That's me. I'm the rat in this relationship. Probably. Liam O'Donnell is Eric Roberts the fucking man in Sicilian Vampire. Ah, uh, you know, it's hard to say. It's such a small part, and uh. You know, I don't I don't feel like it really hits very well and it, it almost feels like a burden in such a long movie. But when he is on screen, he's all right. You know, he's doing his Eric Roberts thing. It he's there. He's certainly not like sort of sleeping through it. Yeah, I, I gotta say he is. You know, I'm gonna go with you. It's a little bit qualified, uh, but yeah, I think he is. You're not you're saying that he's not not the man, that's for sure. That's for sure. He certainly doesn't blow it, that's for sure. <laughs> Will, what did you think? Eric Roberts, is he yeah. the fucking man? Yeah, I I agree with Liam. Um, I'm like I'm tempted to say no just as a disciplinary measure because I think I think the part was you know the whole role was a waste of everybody's time and I think Eric Roberts should be doing better things than this. Um, but at the same time, uh, I liked seeing him on screen and that's all that counts. Um, and 
I, I like him. So a qualified, he's the man. Listen, you two mooks. <laughs> in Sicilian Vampire, there can be only one fucking man, and that is Frank D'Angelo. Oh. In this movie, Frank D'Angelo is the fucking man. Yes. Eric Roberts, you have to take a back seat. <laughs> You're just some cop. I'm Frank D'Angelo, damn it. I run this yeah. goddamn city. Sicilian Vampire from 2015. Yes, we will also be looking out for The Red Maple Leaf, the upcoming Frank D'Angelo movie also featuring Eric Roberts uh, coming out sometime this year. Uh, Do we recommend Sicilian Vampire, Will? Oh, yes. I mean, not for general consumption, but if if you're the kind of person who's listening to a podcast like this, I say yes. You agree, Liam? Sure. Let's take our final break. (laughs) And when we return, we'll have a little talk with Will and we'll say goodbye. Episode number 29 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, covering Sharktopus and the modern classic Sicilian Vampire. I want to give a massive thanks to Will Sloan, who was good enough to come over onto the podcast and not just share his Frank D'Angelo expertise, but also be a very entertaining and inviting guest. Will, thank you so much. Where can we find your work? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Will Sloan ESQ, like Esquire. Mm. Um, I have two podcasts that I host, believe it or not. Uh, One of them is called The Important Cinema Club with my pal Justin DeClue, a former guest of your show. Absolutely. I've also got another one with my pal Luke Savage called Michael and Us, uh, which is a nostalgic um, journey through the films of Michael Moore. Oh, um they don't hold up very well we're finding out uh so and both of those podcasts are available in itunes awesome and how about how about your writing work is there a way for us to keep up on that oh god uh i've got a i've got a website but um you can i i write a lot these days for torontoist.com so check that out absolutely and of course we'll link uh your torontoist piece as well as your globe and mail review in the episode notes, Liam O'Donnell, where can people find out about you and this Bruce Campbell Film Festival I keep hearing about? Oh, well, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. With a Z, uh, yes, I understand. Yeah, and uh, the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Festival can be found at Groovy Fest on Twitter. Uh, and that would we, uh, we've been posting, we just announced the first uh, bit of lineup. There's more things to come that I will not reveal. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. I'm, there's been a great response. It's our third year, and I feel like year three is the year you want to really like be like, we're here and we exist, and you should care about it. So you're gonna kill uh, it. Yeah. I know it. Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> you just can't hide it, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> How about this is hardcore? Is that is that happened yet? <laughs> no, I know I'm doing so many things. So people should go to, uh, like I said, they should follow at Groovy Fest. They should follow at T I H C Fest. 
But honestly, the only one I really care about is at Cinepunks because that's my little baby. There you that's go. my little baby there at Cinepunks. Go to Cinepunks.com. We got great stuff over there. Shut up. <laughs> oh, God. You're so yeah. mean for a Canadian. If you want to find out more about the Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast, go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. Why don't you subscribe via iTunes? Leave us a review. That would be very nice of you. You can also follow Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man on Twitter at E-R-I-P-F-M or do a search on Facebook for Eric Roberts is the Man and uh, join the Facebook group where you can get a lot of behind-the-scenes info. You can find me, Doug Tilly, on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L. E-Y. You can also find my writing over at dailygrindhouse.com and my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, at nobudgetpodcast.com. But with that said, we're all finished up. We've 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 dried up the riverbed of Eric Roberts News on episode number 29. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Mr. Will Sloan. Check out all of his wonderful work. And of course, to my beautiful co-host, Liam O'Donnell. Good night, everybody. Good night. Say everyone say good night. Oh, good night. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Alright, you you gotta stop that now. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.